are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Mark 1, 14 through 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. All right, thanks, Megan. Well, it's good to read the gospel with all of you. Isn't it a gift that we can open this word together, read these pages? And this week we were reminded again of how desperately we are a people who need good news. Any way you slice it from beginning to end, it was a week where we're reminded of how badly we need good news. We intuitively know, don't we, that we're not in good shape? And that this do-it-yourself human improvement project is not working out so well. And we need God to step into this broken world and to fix it. You know what it's like to read the news, watch the news, scroll through social media, and to throw up your arms and say, God, we're ready. Just come and fix it. And you know, too, not just from the news, but from your personal life, what it's like to say, Lord, I'm ready. Just come and fix it. Today in Scripture, we're going to see how God came and did exactly that. Last week was the beginning of the good news, as Mark put it in the first verse. Today is its debut, in a sense. Today, the good news goes public. And so I'm eager to study these two short vignettes with you. First, we're going to talk about the kingdom that Jesus announced. And secondly, we'll talk about these fishermen. And when you put these stories together, you have really the heart of the gospel and the heart of discipleship. So what we're going to talk about today is nothing less than the heart of true faith. So if you're interested in who God really is or what faith would look like for you or how you would know Jesus personally and commit your life to him, then this is it. This is the good news that Jesus came to bring. So our passage starts with two markers for us, a time and a place in verse 14. And we'll put some of these up on the wall or you can follow along in your own Bible. It says that this is after John the Baptist was put in prison. And with that comes this stark reminder of the backdrop, the dark backdrop that the good news comes into. It's good news precisely because you and I know the reality of bad news. John the Baptist, in their setting, used by God in such a mighty way, was now put in prison. And soon, we'll read about it in chapter 6, his life will be snuffed out. The place has also changed. Earlier in the chapter, we were down in Judea along the Jordan. Now the text says he's come back to Galilee. And that was in the north where he'd been raised. And then what was he there to do? It says in the second half of the verse, he was proclaiming the good news of God. 
I remember early on in college as a biblical studies major, there was a professor who asked one of our classes if we would answer this question. What was the core message that Jesus came to bring? And the professor gave us four options. It was multiple choice, A, B, C, and D. And actually had us physically get up and go to a different wall of the room based on our answer. So A's over there, B's, C's, and D's. So we all moved and selected our answer. And I don't remember what each of the four options were, but I do remember they were all really good, as in very plausible. So there were students along each of the walls, and I also remember that I didn't get the answer right. I think that I picked something about the cross and about forgiveness. Plausible, right? And all the answers were that way. But then we got to what the answer actually was. What was the core message that Jesus came to bring? It's right here in verse 15. These are the first recorded words of Jesus in Mark. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. That was the answer. The arrival of God's kingdom. Now when Jesus says the time has come, he doesn't use the normal word for time like you would when referring to the clock or the calendar. That word would be chronos. We get our word chronological from that word. That's not the one he uses. He's announcing something altogether different. As one writer put it, God works by a different clock. How many of us know that in our personal lives? God works by a different clock. So this is more than just a timer counting down to an event. Jesus uses the word kairos, which means an appointed time, a time of fulfillment, a God-ordained season. And specifically, Jesus is talking about the fulfillment of prophetic hope. For many generations, the prophets in the Old Testament had been saying, a Messiah is coming, a Savior is coming, God will come and fix it. He'll deliver us and put things right. And Jesus is saying in verse 15, the Kairos time is here. I've got good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now kingdom, for you and I, we hear that word, it's a little bit distant to us. Because we don't live in a kingdom. We don't have kings. We don't really associate a lot with kingdoms other than maybe going to Disney World, the magical kingdom. Or old stories and monarchs and figureheads. We saw the funeral service for Prince Philip. So we think of the UK, the United Kingdom. But even in Jesus' time, there were emperors, Herods, Pontius Pilate later in the story. And they were all functioning very much as kings. And yet the term kingdom of God is really an abstraction. Which is just a big word to say, it really just means the rule or kingship of God. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the kingdom. Not a castle with a drawbridge and a moat and little flags flying over the top. But kingdom with a capital K in the Bible is where bad news melts away because God is in charge and all is well. Now, some of us might say, with this announcement from Jesus, well, if the kingdom of God has come, why are things still such in bad shape? All is not well in the world. 
And all is certainly not well in my own life. So where is the kingdom of God that Jesus says is here? And I think that would be a very fair objection. And so I want to address it lest we might dismiss the words of Jesus as off the mark or idealistic. When Jesus announces that the kingdom of God has come, it's arriving in full spiritual reality, but not yet in its final physical form. And I want you to just think across these recent weeks of spring arriving in Minnesota. The grip of winter is gone. The days are longer. The sun's more powerful. But that doesn't mean we flip a switch and all of a sudden it's 80 degrees every day. You might look outside on an April morning like you did this last week and see snow laying out there on the ground. But make no mistake about it, spring has arrived and the clock has not turned backwards. In fact, one day soon we know it will be summer in all of its glory. So Jesus announces the arrival of the kingdom and all that comes with it. And so right now we can say, I have a king whose name is Jesus. And he has set me free from the reign of sin, both in me and around me. He has declared victory over death and conquered the grave. There is no power of hell or threat of evil that can stand against me. And from this day on, I get to live in his kingdom and have everlasting life, no matter what late snows or frosty mornings may come my way. In all its fullness in our life, summer is coming. And one day, what is true in the spiritual realm will be fully realized in front of our eyes. Right now, we're in the in-between. And yet, not in the in-between where we're just waiting for time to pass, but with a God-ordained purpose in this Kairos season. And so that's where we go next in the text. This is not just an announcement for information like you might hear in the airport. No, this is a call for action. Let's listen to the whole thing. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. We have these two action words. They're imperatives and they are key words of discipleship in responding to Jesus. We talked about repentance last week in connection with John that to repent means to turn around. To change the direction of your life. To acknowledge that I have gotten off on the wrong path and I'm going to turn back around toward Jesus. Repentance is the first step of faith. And yet we know that repentance can be the hardest step to take. It really can be. It's so hard to admit sometimes that we've been wrong. It's so difficult to acknowledge it was my fault. I went down the wrong road. It is much easier to do and it's more culturally acceptable to downplay the seriousness of sin. And so we find this in the world we live in. We have a shallow understanding of sin and with it comes a shallow understanding of repentance. I want you to listen to this parody on a prayer for general confession. Some of you who grew up in a more high church or liturgical background, you're going to love this. This is kind of a spoof on the common book of prayer. Benevolent and easygoing Father, we have occasionally been guilty of errors of judgment. We have lived under the deprivations of heredity 
and the disadvantages of environment. We have sometimes failed to act in accordance with common sense. We have done the best we could in the circumstances and have been careful not to ignore the common standards of decency. And we are glad to think that we are fairly normal. O Lord, deal lightly with our infrequent lapses, with those who admit they are not perfect, according to the unlimited tolerances which we have a right to expect from Thee. And grant that we may hereafter continue to live a harmless and happy life and keep our self-respect. What does Jesus say? Verse 15. Repent. It's a very different message. Come to the end of yourself. It's time to switch allegiances and decide if you're going to stand with God or stand against God. There's no middle ground. Repent and believe, Jesus says. Believe is a word we've talked about lately too. It's the word pistuo. And just like repent, it also means action. It doesn't mean just some passive acceptance as something being true. It is an active sense of trusting in someone. How many of us grew up going to a camp where you maybe did the trust fall? Does that ring any bells? I don't even know if they allow the trust fall anymore at camp. But you remember you had to fall backwards, stiff as a board off the platform, and then your cabin mates and the counselors would be down below ready to catch you? What was the lesson of that? It was about, I'm 100% committed. Remember, you couldn't kind of crouch either, or that would mess things up. But that was the picture, is, is of belief, of trusting in others. Not some mental assent or verbal acknowledgement, but I'm leaving the platform, I'm committed 100%, and that's what Jesus means by believe. David Garland says, trust affects the way you live. So if you trust Jesus, it affects the way you live. Those are the first two words, repent and believe. And now we're going to add two more. We're going to talk about the fishermen. I think it's fascinating that Jesus announces the kingdom of God is here. And the next thing you know, he's just meandering up the lake shore. And he's going to call some common tradesmen to come and follow him. I mean, what a juxtaposition, isn't it? You would think if the Son of God shows up and announces that the kingdom of God is here, there would be earthquakes and lightning and peals of thunder. There would be cosmic sound waves going out from his mouth as he made that announcement. But that's not how the kingdom arrives. That's not how Christmas arrived either, was it? We remember the way that God likes to work, that his kingdom will not conform to the expectations of this world. Maybe earthly kingdoms will follow our script, how power is supposed to play out, but not God's. God's kingdom arrives in the quiet of a stable, in the home of a carpenter, and in the person of Jesus from Nazareth. The kingdom of God does not arrive with triumphant fanfare, but with Jesus along the Sea of Galilee, quietly gathering a group of insignificant people to follow him. Let's look at the text, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. So we're going to have the story of two sets of brothers here, and this is the first, Simon and Andrew. 
I had the pleasure of fishing with my dad earlier this week. And over the years, it's just one of our favorite things to do together. Half about the fishing, but probably half and more, just about time together as father and son. And yet when my dad and I are out there on the water, it's our hobby. It's what we like to do for fun. These guys were doing this because it was their job. This is how they provided for their family. It's how they made a living. What we realize in going back 2,000 years, and we're there with them on the Sea of Galilee, is that Jesus is walking up to them on the lakeshore, and he's at their job site, interrupting their work. So think about your job site, where you might be, in healthcare, ISD 728, in business, construction. And God shows up on the job site, interrupting their routine, which was to fish every day except the Sabbath, pulling up the nets, paying taxes to Caesar, and selling every pound that they could catch. That was life at the Sea of Galilee. It was a large freshwater lake, 13 miles top to bottom, 7 miles across. And that's where Jesus finds Andrew and his older brother Simon, who we will get to know as Peter. And it's there that he extends this extraordinary invitation to them in verse 17. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Repent and believe, and now follow me, and I'll send you out. There is a coming and going that revolves around Jesus. It's not just that we come and follow him like ducks all in a row. But there is also a sending that Jesus invites us to. Discipleship isn't just about accumulating knowledge. It's about mission. It's not a self-improvement program. It's about service to the Lord and to others. So Jesus is going to teach us and lead us and shape us as we draw near to him. But then he's going to send us out. And I think it's one of the mysterious, amazing ways that God works that he would use such unreliable and unworthy people as ourselves. I'll speak for myself. As myself. That he would use us, that he would use me to extend his kingdom on earth. And that's what he invites us to when he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And this invitation is unconventional for other reasons too because not only are these fishermen not the right pedigree in their social status or their job to get this kind of invitation. But it also comes backwards. You see, normally in their culture, the student would go to the rabbi and ask permission. Can I follow you? Jesus flips the script, and here he takes the initiative and seeks out his students and says, come, follow me. And as we'll see in the next verse, their response is far more than just a nod of the head or a prayer in their heart. We see them physically respond in verse 18. At once, they left their nets and followed him. All right, so they're not setting aside their hobby. They are setting aside their livelihood. The abandonment of nets means that they are leaving their future financial security. They're leaving all that they had known, all that they have done, and they're leaving it to follow Jesus. Now, if you know this story already, and I know that some of you do, 
we have to be very careful not to lose the force of it because of its familiarity. Are some of you there this morning? You've heard this story how many times? Let's not lose its force because of its familiarity. I mean, who is it? As we step back from it and pretend we're the Timbaro people reading this for the first time, who is it that can command such obedience? That walks up to you and I on our job site and says, come follow me. Who is it that can show up and make such an audacious, unreasonable claim upon our life? Let's add the next scene and then we'll return to those questions. Jesus goes a little further down the beach. He finds two other fishermen, the brothers James and John. And just like in the first example, Jesus gives the same invitation and the brothers reply in the same manner. Verse 20, without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Like the brothers before him, James and John leave behind their livelihood, but did you catch the added nuance in this one? They didn't just leave their livelihood, they also left their father. They left Zebedee with the hired men in the boat. Now in their world, even more so than ours, family was everything. In a strong group culture like theirs, you know, it was one thing to leave your job. That would have been crazy enough. But to leave your father, it would have been unthinkable. It would have been almost scandalous. And so we ask ourselves here at the close of the message, what does all of this mean for us, me, in my life, where I'm at today? Do we have to leave our job to follow Jesus? Do we have to leave our family? What exactly is Jesus asking us to do? And I want to finish here by drawing some conclusions. First, it's my hope that there are four words that are etched into your memory after today. And they are repent and believe, follow and go. I hope the sum total of your life will be described by those four words. The sum total of Harrison's young life will be those four words. Repent, believe, follow, and go. If Jesus is indeed the king of your life, then those four words become your response. And everything else kind of filters out and finds its place next to that. Is family still important in the Bible? Sure it is. But it's secondary to Christ. And the same for your career, your job, your home, your finances, your 401k, your retirement, and on down the list. We learn to hold these things loosely as we follow Jesus. And we learn to let God lead us where he wants to, even if it's somewhere that we don't understand. Some of you are following Jesus through some very hard places right now. And I want to encourage you this morning by telling you that it's worth it to not give up even in the hard places, that you're not alone, God has not left you alone, and that your obedience is of great value. And some of you, as you hear this message this morning, are perhaps still fishing for fish. And you're going about your daily routine, but Jesus has been showing up in increasing ways in your life, perhaps even just by being in church this morning and 
reading this scripture and hearing this message, and you know that Jesus is calling into your life and you have some decisions to make. Will you take his invitation? Or will you keep stubbornly mending those nets? My prayer for all of us, for each of us, is that we would hear the good news that the kingdom of God has come so that we would all respond to Jesus our King and repent, believe, follow, and go to the glory of our Father in heaven and to our great joy on earth. Let me pray for us. Father God, you sent your Son to bring your kingdom. As we read about it today, Lord, we just want to say yes to the good news that you proclaim. We need it so badly, Lord, and we pray for our country. We pray for our families and our community, and we pray, Lord, individually for ourselves. We need this good news so desperately. And so, Lord, we rejoice in the coming of your kingdom, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would enable us to respond to this great invitation. What a gift, Lord, that we get to be your disciples, that you would call insignificant men and women from insignificant places to come and follow you. Lord, would you make us your faithful servants? to the calling that you have put on each one of our lives. We ask this in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.